0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim. It's my privilege to uh, take you into the beginning of our series this morning. If you have a Bible, electronic device with a Bible app on it, you can go to James chapter 1. I'm going to read the first four verses this morning, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This morning, as we begin to wade into this series, I want to talk a little bit about advice Advice is when someone offers you their opinion about something you should do or how you should act in regards to a particular situation. Sometimes we're looking for advice, sometimes we're not. And sometimes it grates us when someone gives us advice that uh, you know, isn't, we don't really like. And it's especially harsh or hard when that advice, you have a sinking feeling that what they're saying is right and true, but it's still hard to swallow. We experience that, I think, very literally as kids growing up. We're eating our plate, I'm eating all the food, but I've pushed to the corner of my plate one of the food groups that I don't really find that tasteful, broccoli, with its funny texture and taste, and so, You know, you push that to the corner of your plate, you've eaten everything else, and you hear the words, eat your broccoli, and you want to know why, like why, why do you have to, I mean, it's, it's hairy, it's, you know, and why, why do I need to eat that? And of course, the words that usually come back to you is because it's. Because it's good for you. That's right, and you know your parents love you. I mean, you know they're they're all in for you. They they, they want the best for you, and so um, you you know they're probably they're probably right. But that doesn't make it any easier to swallow. So this morning we're beginning to to go into the book of James, and some people have called it the New Testament book of Proverbs. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there are two segments to the Bible. There's the Old Testament, then Jesus comes, and we've got the New Testament after that part. And in the Old Testament, there's a book called Proverbs, which has a whole bunch of short sayings, nuggets of wisdom or advice, if you will, as to how to understand life and how to live your life well. James is is sort of like that. There's lots of different topics that James covers, and he has an opinion on it. And in a sense, he's got advice for you as to how to understand it and how to to live well under it. There are approximately 180 verses in James, and there are 60 what we call imperatives. That is, things for you to do. So, eat your vegetables. Take out the garbage. you You get my drift. James is a lot about directing us, having an opinion, having some advice for us as to what we should do. And this morning, right out of the gate, we get broccoli. We get something that's really hard to swallow. As James says to us in verse 2, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. So joy, Trials. Difficulties, hard circumstances, pressures. They don't seem to really go together, do they? They're a strange couple, if you will. The opposite of joy would be to grumble and complain. A synonym for joy would be like to delight in something. So I think we understand that. We can, we understand when somebody gets a new home and it's a gorgeous home, well we take delight in that home. Some of you know I've become a coffee snob, and so when when I get a really good latte and it's made really well, I can delight in that. Succulent chocolate. Oh, many of us, we can delight in that because we we know the experience, where it's going to lead us, is going to be good. And so that takes us to delight. But trials and delight, trials and joy... They just do not seem to go together. And yet James writes to us, count it all joy. Count, it's a, it's a, it, it's a word of thinking. It's, a, it's a, a counting term, if you will. Like take, take notice with your mind. Put it, make a ledger, put it together. Reckon would be another way it would be translated. Like think this way. In other words, Take, rule over your emotions. You know, we're so, in our, in our society today, we're so led by our emotions. Often instead of people saying, I think this, they'll say, I feel this. It's, it's significant. It's, it's how we're wired or how we, how we work today, how we roll, by feelings. And James is saying, I, I want you to overrule your emotions. Dallas Willard said that emotions are a great servant. Like, emotions are great. They just make really lousy masters and James is saying regardless of how you feel count reckon think it all joy We're gonna have lots of opportunities to do that because we're gonna meet all kinds of trials, trials of various kinds, so you can be at work and you thought you had a a long-term job and your your company goes through some financial difficulties, they've gotta make some cutbacks and you lose your job. How do you feel in that uncertainty? You you feel depressed, you're sad. You don't like it, James says, choose joy. You're a mom and your kids aren't behaving that well and it's such a thankless job sometimes Hopefully we'll change that next Sunday. But, you know, it's, it's hard and you're tired. You're not getting the sleep that you need or the respect that you think you deserve or the thanks, the gratitude. Be easy to be blue about it. James says, choose joy. You're in a relationship. You really thought it was going somewhere and it looked like this would be it. This is the person I want to spend the rest of my life to. And she cuts it off. And, oh, you feel so rejected. James says, choose joy. You're at the doctor's and you haven't been feeling well and you get the diagnosis that things are not all right and it's a sinking feeling. And James says, choose joy. Make a decision of the will, the mind, to overrule your feelings and choose delight, choose joy. Who, Who can do that? See, I know this morning that probably each one of us, we've come to church this morning and there's at least something in our life that's difficult. There's at least one trial that we're experiencing in our life. On Good Friday, we talked about Jordan Peterson. One of the, you know, he's a a clinical psychologist, teaches professor at Toronto U. And and this following that he's got around the world, I think because people resonate with the reality of of what he addresses and one of those things is that life can be hard. And he says that at least... Every person is dealing with at least one thing that's, that's difficult, that's hard for them. This is the reality of, of our living. And so I know that you're here today. You've probably got at least one thing that's a trial in your life. And James would say to you this morning, choose joy. What right does he have to tell you that? I mean, come on, James. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know how hard it is. Who are you? What right do you have to say this to me here this morning? When it comes to advice, I think that it's really important who the person is that's giving us advice. Do they have, do they have experience? Have they walked through what they're talking about? Do, do they evidence the fact that they've lived the advice that they're giving to you? Do they have some qualifications? Are they skilled? Do they have a track record? I mean, that's pretty important when I'm going to take advice from somebody. A while ago, uh, quite a while ago, I was skiing in a company event up at Whistler. And I don't know how this happened, but uh, I found myself in a small group of guys skiing in in a part of the mountain I probably should not have been on. But I was with three or four other guys, and one of the guys we were with really knew what he was doing. Knew what he was talking about. His name was Steve Podborski. Now, some of you won't know who he is, um, but in 1982, he won the season of World Cup downhill skiing. In other words, there was a point in his life where he was the best downhill skier in the world. He won eight races, downhill Uh, World Cup races, uh, over 30 top 10 finishes in his career, and here I am on the top of Whistler Mountain in an area I probably shouldn't be with him and just a couple of other guys, and I want you to know any advice that Steve Podborski has for me, I'm all ears, and I'm all in. It really matters who's giving us advice and who we're listening to. Who are you listening to? Today as we look at these words in the Bible, I think it's good for us to know who's writing this. James in verse 1. There were a lot of James in first century world. Um, there, there were a lot of people. Jacob would have been the, the Jewish name, uh, translation of that. There are a lot of them. But as as people who search these things out, scholars, historians, there are a couple of options as to who James could be, but I think the majority and where I would land is that this is the James. This is the guy called James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus, the one whom with Jesus lived with in his family, the one who grew up with Jesus, and yet as Jesus was coming into his ministry and, and, and the fulfillment of what God had called him to do, it seems that James and others around him, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to acknowledge that your brother might be the Savior, the Messiah. And it seems that they didn't recognize him as such until after we're told that Jesus appeared to James. James, the just, one who had, in a sense, not received Jesus, but now receives the grace of seeing Jesus risen from the dead. James, who receives grace and mercy and enters into a relationship with God through Jesus, just like everybody else, but is now and becomes the leader of the church where it all began, the leader of the church at Jerusalem. It's that James. I don't know about you, but I'm listening. I wanna hear what he has to say. James would have experienced a lot of difficulties in his life. As leader of the church, we know there'd be pressures on him. How do you lead this new upstart group of followers of Jesus? Especially when there's Rome, and there's threat of persecution from the Jewish community. And we know there were those who criticized him and what was going on as the good news of Jesus Christ was taken to the Gentiles. We also know that James probably suffered hunger like so many others in that time. There's a famine that swept through the the world in those early years of the first century. James knew trials. He knew difficulty. And he writes at the start of his letter, James... A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James could have maybe dropped you know, his pedigree, brother, Jesus, but he doesn't. It's just James. And his identity is found in his relationship with God, now as a servant. And with Jesus, not as a brother, but recognizing who Jesus truly is, the risen Lord and Savior, a servant of Jesus. That's who's writing And he's writing to a group of people called the diaspora. That word means scattered. So this is a season in which there is threat of persecution. And because of that, those who were in Jerusalem had scattered to other regions to save their lives. This is that James that is writing to us. And he says to us, as we sit here this morning, count it all joy, my brothers, my sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's hard. Well, sometimes when you get some advice from, let's say, a physician, you want to get a second opinion if you don't like what you heard. We can do that with Scripture. In fact, sometimes it's great as you're studying the Bible to check other sources, other, are there other witnesses to what I'm reading here in Scripture? So we can do that this morning. We can flip over to 1 Peter and see what he's written there. This is a follower of Jesus, one of the the 12 disciples. And Peter writes in his first chapter, in, in verse 6 of chapter 1, writing to believers, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Joy? Trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more, than preci- more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Joy trials. We could think of Peter who experienced imprisonment more than once, threat of persecution, threat of his life, telling us to rejoice in our trials. Ah, maybe we need another, another ad, uh, advisor. Let's turn to the, the Apostle Paul. Paul, who was also once a person who rejected Jesus, Peter had denied him, Paul had rejected Jesus, and he was a persecutor of the early church when Jesus apprehends, them, apprehends him on the road to Damascus, knocks him to his feet, and Paul, once a persecutor, becomes a follower and a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. Paul, one who would be imprisoned often, and beaten, and suffered hunger, and the pressures of leadership of the church, and on and on it goes, and this is what he writes in Romans chapter 5, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, through Jesus, this grace, Paul knew all about grace. And that because of the grace of God that he had received, he'd been put into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, joy, sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Joy in suffering, joy in trials. Paul, Peter, James, they're all saying the same thing. See, this is more than advice. It's because this is the very word of God. As God is breathing through these men by his Holy Spirit, and they write down God's words, It's a consistent message to us in the midst of our trials and all its difficulty. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but when we read Peter, Peter gives some rationale as to why we should count it all joy. And it's, it has very much to do with the future. When, when, when the glory of God's salvation happens, Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to make our present seem so minuscule in, in light of the glory, our present difficulty so small, in light of the glory of God's salvation that's going to be revealed. But in both the passage we read in Romans with Paul and what we're now looking back into in James, it has very... Very much to do about what God is doing in our lives right now. Count it all joy, James says. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's good for you. The testing of your faith. When you're put to trial and, and you're in a difficulty, what God intends for you out of that is good. It produces a commodity that can only be produced through difficulty. It's called steadfastness, also translated maybe in your Bible, perseverance. You can't buy perseverance You you can't buy steadfastness. You can't can't get it instantly, like we want things, instantly and quick. You can't just go to the store and, and pick it up. The only way you're gonna develop perseverance or steadfastness in your life is to go through difficulty, to go through trials, and in the midst of those things, as your faith is tested to say, I will continue to trust and believe in my Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for me and rose from the dead, and as you do that, God builds something powerful in you. You know, our natural bodies illustrate this very well. It would be nice, and maybe you've had this thought as well, it'd it'd be nice to sit on the couch, uh, read your electronic reader, iPad, whatever, um, watch your favorite shows, and munch on all your favorite snacks and after doing that, you've made progress towards the six-pack that you want to have happen in your body. That you could just lounge around and do nothing, and it would make you fitter tomorrow than you are today. I mean, that would be fantastic. I remember looking at an advertisement once in one of the, the papers in Vancouver. It was a, they, they bought quite a big spread within the paper, and so I couldn't miss it. And it was a picture of this guy with these humongous big muscles and there were these wires attached to his body and it was an advertisement uh, of this new program that you could pay for by, whereby they would hook you up to these electric stimulus and and through that it would make your muscles bigger and and make you a better uh, specimen of human fitness. Well, of course that doesn't work. That's for the gullible, there's no no, um, Olympic champion, there's no fit athlete, there's no star sports person that's ever gotten to where they've gotten without hard work and difficulty in the midst of that, pressing through. And and so it is in in working our bodies, and developing our bodies, you you have to go to the gym. And there you have to experience Resistance and and, and fighting, you have to resist the weight in order for your muscles to build and to grow. And it's especially when you push through the hard times, when the last few reps are extremely difficult, and you say, with your will, you make the choice, no, I'm I'm gonna continue. It's in those repetitions especially that your muscles benefit the most. So it is in the testing of our faith. God wants to produce something in our lives. And James says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. In other other words, don't short circuit what God wants to do in your life. Don't bail. Trust him. As hard as it is, trust him. One of the stories that Has stuck with me from the Old Testament is 1 Samuel chapter 13. It's the story of Saul early in his kingship. And some of his men, I think his son Jonathan and others, they've gone and they've they've, uh, taken this post of the Philistines. And the Philistines are not happy about it. So they muster up their army to fight against Saul and his men. And they are just way bigger than what Saul has. And so as Saul sees that And his men are hiding now in the rocks, and the the crevices, you know, they're afraid and they're trembling and they're questioning Saul's leadership and it looks like things are gonna completely unravel and they're gonna be killed and and Saul is waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting for Samuel the prophet to come so that they can sacrifice to God before they go out in, in battle and war and he's waiting and waiting and you can, as you read the story, you can almost feel the pressure meter, you know, it's getting more and more And more in Saul's life. Where's the pressure meter in your life? Where where is it? Saul reaches that point and he needs to wait. He needs to trust, but he bails. He's disobedient and he takes on the role of a priest and he makes a sacrifice to God. And shortly after that, Samuel shows up. Samuel would have been on time. Samuel was on God's time. He was there. He would have been there in perfect timing. But Saul bailed and short-circuited what God wanted to do. Don't bail in your life. Whatever you're going through, don't bail. Trust God. I want to encourage you this morning. Trust him. God will always prove himself trustworthy. Trustworthy. Your faith may be, may be tested right now, but see what God wants to work through that testing in your life, even right now. He is working something good and something beautiful. The steadfastness of your faith, which produces other things. So James writes, let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't bail on it. I was thinking about how we get tested and tested. Wouldn't it be nice if God would let us know exactly how long our testing's going to be? So with the particular particular trial that you're in, God would would send you an email and he'd say, yeah, this one will be over next week, Thursday at 4 p.m. Wouldn't that be helpful? Wouldn't that just be great? I was thinking border crossings. You know, you see the signs of border crossings, and it lets you know how long the wait is gonna be where. So in a sense, you can choose, you know, you can choose which difficulty you wanna take on, but it also relieves our stress because we know how long the wait's gonna be. At worst, it'll be 15 minutes, 20 minutes if the sign says that. Maybe it'll be a little bit over. But it helps relieve the stress. It doesn't work that way. In our lives, in our walk with God, in the trials that we go through, we're not given a message that tells us it's going to be this long. What we are given the message, though, and what we we can be absolutely certain of is that God will be faithful. That God will be faithful to you in the midst of your testing, and that he has purposed to bring something absolutely beautiful out of it. James says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't bail on it. Don't short-circuit on it. Trust that God will be faithful so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's a picture not of, of absolute perfection, which will only happen in, in the next phase of our existence after Jesus comes again but it's our trajectory of maturity he's talking about so that you will be a a complete mature Christian like in all areas of your life you're going to become complete and mature if you let your trial and your steadfastness in it have its full effect God wants to work beautiful things in your life you need to be convinced of that this morning and the difficulty that you're going through, God can take and he can use to produce more beauty in your life. The beauty of character that reflects his image from glory to glory. See in the very beginning in Genesis, we're told that humankind was created in the image of God. We were created to reflect God and so it is as new creations in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he makes us new creations. That he wants to continue to work that new creation in our lives so that in all areas of our thinking, in our behavior, it reflects Jesus. And we do that from one glory to another. This is the work of God that he uses in our difficulties so that we can count it all joy. I don't know if you've ever been down to a place like Granville Island. There's a shop there um, where they have beautiful glass creations I would call them because they're really odd shapes sometimes but they're absolutely beautiful but that only happens when they put that glass into extreme heat so it becomes um, it becomes pliable and they can shape it into what they want as they blow into it over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit in order for that to happen. Sometimes the heat gets really hot in our lives, but we need to know that God is forming something beautiful. He wants to shape his image, his character into you so that when people look at you, they go, wow, how is that possible? How can you respond like that? How can you have that attitude? We know, full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit, God working in our lives, to shape us into his image. Count it all joy, James says. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that your trials, your testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let let it have its full effect, that you, yes you, follower of Jesus, may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. As we walk away this morning and these words resonate in our heart. Here's some takeaways that we can think about doing to, to help this have legs in our life. I think it's great to live a life that's intentional. At the, every, at the end of every day, imagine if we just asked ourselves, where did I express joy in my life today? And, and if, you, if, if we would do that every day, it would become something that we're more cognizant of, more aware of throughout the day, and we begin to find ourselves choosing joy throughout the day. What if we asked one another as we bump into one another in just our normal conversation, how's your joy? And if if someone's struggling, if we encouraged one another with why, all these reasons that God's given to us, why we should have joy. I'd highly recommend memorizing these verses, James chapter one, verses two to four, because as we do that, the word of God is implanted in our hearts and it becomes a tool for the Holy Spirit to remind us in our day that we can count, yes, even this circumstance I'm going through, has all joy. And then rehearse, rehearse the good news, rehearse the reasons we have to be joyful. David says in the Psalms, he speaks to his soul and he says, why are you so downcast, my soul? We need to speak that to ourselves, speak the gospel, talk to ourselves about the fact that Jesus Christ has conquered all, that he's risen from the dead, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, that you're his child, his victory is your victory. That he is faithful, that God is working his purposes in your life right now, molding and shaping you. As you begin to rehearse that cell, that, and tell your soul that, you begin to feel joy. And here's a prayer that I think uh, I was, as I was meditating on this passage of scripture God, would you help me to value more the shaping of my character than the pleasure of my comfort? Let that be our prayer. God, we want to be people of character, of your character, reflecting your glory to the world. Let's pray. God, this morning we are so grateful. I just want to count it all joy, Lord, that we could be here today, that we could come together as people who... You have rescued by your grace, brought into a relationship with you. So many of us, Lord, have experienced your grace in our lives. And we just, Lord, just want to say thank you. And we want to live our lives with joy, Lord, because that's real. Because you're a real God. And our faith, if genuine, Lord, if we, we really see what our faith consists of, we, God, we just say, Lord, you're worthy to rejoice in because of your greatness and your faithfulness to us. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would enable us to do this, to bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's name, amen.